so this episode, Chris, I think people are going to be really excited about, or should be. Um, give us a little preview. Yeah, so our, our guest today is uh, Will Oston, who um, has founded an organization called the Arc of Justice, and he's trying to pass a very meaningful piece of legislation called the uh, Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights. And he had some success in the last Congress with um, uh, partnering with some interesting Congress people like Tulsi Gabbard and and uh, and others. And, and and his passion for this issue is is overwhelming and intoxicating. Well, that'll be evident as you watch this. Um, Arc of Justice USA dot com or dot org dot org um, is where you can get the website. And then that's that's also the social media handles Arc of Justice USA on Instagram. Um, encourage you to to check it out. But more importantly, listen and get in, excited. And, and get informed and get active. Great episode. Yeah. You understand what that means. I do. That's great. Yeah, that thing is... Uh... And now he's recording, so we're, <laughs> we're, we're live. <laughs> this is what happens with this Alex. This is what happens with Alex. We just... We just go. Start we going. We just go. Yeah. All right. Here yeah. we are. So, William Oston. You got it right. Arc of Justice. Yes, sir. I mean, that sounds like something out of a uh, Justice League. I was going to say, know. it's like Marvel. Or, it, know, no, no, it's DC. DC Arc of DC, Justice. Sorry. The yeah. Arc of wrong. Justice. Has anybody seen the Snyder Cut, by the way? No. Uh, we're, we're, we're going off. I have not, but I will. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting, to say the least. Well, Will, thank you for being here. Thanks for being part of Light Beer and Dark Money, starring yours truly, Chris Clements, and my colleague here, Sean Noble. So tell us about... Who you are, what you're doing. Um, I think our audience is going to be very interested in this today. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I'll I'll start with the uh, the non Marvel naming convention. <laughs> we'll we'll start there. Uh, so the the subtitle of my nonprofit is Advocates for Wounded Warriors. So it's Arc of Justice Advocates for Wounded Warriors. And uh, for those who are who are watching, you can see there's a there's a shield, you know, which which very much does look like superhero ish. So what I did was. Uh, it's from the quote from Dr. King that says, we shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And then also the shield is the Spartan shield from the 300. And so what I wanted to do for the ethos of our company was combine modernity's greatest nonviolent warrior, Dr. King, with antiquity's greatest violent warrior, the Spartans. So that's kind of where the nomenclature comes that. from. And uh, you guys understand. See, that's directly related to DC Comics. A absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I keep trying to tell my wife, listen, I am a superhero. I haven't convinced her after 20 years, but maybe we'll get it here after this podcast. Well, actually, your story is such that I would have to agree. So let's. So yeah. we'll get into the story a little bit. Yeah. Um, so let me talk about why I joined and then we'll kind of build up to it. Uh, so I was at Pepperdine Law School in 2004 pursuing a joint degree, law degree, master's of public policy. And this ties in with Arizona, you know, with where you guys are. Uh, Pat Tillman, the former NFL football star who gave up a $3.2 million contract to join the Army Rangers. Well, while I was at Pepperdine, he was killed in April of, of 04. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a man of faith. I'm a Christian. And so I, the, the best way for me to say what happened to me is I felt very convicted that I was living in Malibu, had been raised in, you know, middle class family, wonderful upbringing, and, but I had done nothing to serve my country and now my country was now in two theaters of war. And so here's Pat Tillman who gave up $3 million to serve and I had done nothing. So I went back to my little, you know, law school room and 
told my wife, you know, hey, I'm, I'm not going to go work for Sam Brambach's presidential campaign, you know, in 2008, which was kind of my plan. Uh, I'm not going to make a lot of money, you know, as a whatever litigator. I'm going to join the army. And to her credit, and I had had a lot of crazy ideas up to that point, but to her credit, she was like, okay, if you feel like the Lord's leading you to do this and you want to serve our country, I'll get behind you. All right. So we'll, we'll kind of fast forward through my military career. And if you want to go back to that to tell me to tell some stories, I can, but I'd only planned on joining for three years, um, deployed right away, uh, with 10th mountain division, light infantry to Iraq, really loved what I was doing, got picked up to be the JAG for a special operations unit. So I served with Navy SEAL team five and army green Berets from seventh group special forces. Um, and that's the deployment where things changed for me. So I deployed with them to Kandahar, Afghanistan, the doctors say that I was exposed to an environmental toxin. Now they don't know exactly what it could have been from the burn pits, you know, that people are hearing about right now. There's burn pit legislation going on. Uh, it could have been from, you know, even though I'm a jag and I'm not kicking down doors, I never want to act like I'm something that I'm not, you know, but I was still going outside the wire on missions, meeting with, you know, key leader engagements. So we're eating goat stew and drinking tea and it might have, it might have not been sanitary. You know, right. they, they don't know. So, that was 2012, 2013. So the doctors say that uh, an environmental toxin triggered something in my bloodstream called Bichette's disease. Nobody's heard of it in the West, but it's just basically a very nasty autoimmune, autoinflammatory disease. Uh, it includes symptoms, and I don't have modern day leprosy, so you guys don't have to like back away from me, but <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> it, it, it includes symptoms like modern day leprosy, brain fog, weight gain, joint pain. You know, it's just basically the body starts to disintegrate from the inside out. Uh, so that went undiagnosed for five years. Then in 2018, I had four of these uh, separate leprous breakouts. The doctors actually at Fort Knox, Kentucky thought I had AIDS because uh, it was so bad. And so thankfully, uh, God sent a man named Dr. Joseph Day. He was a dermatologist at Fort Knox. He had actually studied Bichette's disease. And he took one look at my you know, leprous looking sores and was like, you have Bichette's disease. And he was actually very excited <laughs> because he had never had a Bichette's disease patient, but he had studied for it. Um, so I, I would tell him, look, Joe, just calm down a little bit. You're way too excited to like, you know, be taking these lesions off my body. All right. Um, so then I was supposed to deploy again. Uh, but the military sent me to Fort Belvoir, uh, Virginia Hospital, which is like in concert with Walter Reed. It's like their best medical treatment around the world in D.C. area. So, and that's where the story really begins. Uh, at that point, I was supposed to receive up to one year of treatment to see, you know, if I can get healthy. Number one, if I can't get healthy enough to continue to serve because the military, of course, as you guys know, you know, this this isn't just like, hey, once you join, we're going to get you to 20. You know, it's not a welfare state. It's meritocracy. Uh, but if you have served and you've been injured in the line of duty, they still try and give you a year to because we're fighters. That's what we are. And instead of getting that, there was a new bureaucratic agency called Defense Health Agency that had just come online. It was congressionally created in the early 2010s. 2018 was when it actually took over. And so instead of me getting up to a year to get healthy, like the mil the army wanted me to, a defense health agency bureaucrat took one look at my you know medical diagnosis and she was like, that's impossible that he'll ever recover. So we're gonna kick him out immediately. Wow. So I knew that this was illegal because I was a JAG officer. So I went to meet with her and and I just said, hey, you know, I was just diagnosed. I haven't had my year. You know, come on, what do you, what's going on here? And, and she goes, no, you were diagnosed, you know, three years ago. So it was a simple math mistake. 
And so I pointed it out to her. So she looked up her computer files. She was like, oh, you're right. You know, you shouldn't be enrolled. And I was like, great. Then, then just disenroll me and give me a year to fight. I was going to Johns Hopkins. You know, I was going to get some of the best medical care the military can provide. And here's what she said to me. And, and this is not an exaggeration. She goes, I'm not going to disenroll you. And I said, why not? And she said, because I say so, you're just a number to me. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> oh, my God. And so here's what had happened is with the advent of DHA taking over in 2018. So going back 245 years in military tradition, all the way back to General George Washington Continental Army, wounded warriors always had been controlled by the military chain of command. That changed in 2018. So DHA now took it over. And Secretary of Defense Mattis had also at the beginning of 2018 passed the deployer get out policy. So it swung the pendulum in the other way, whereas since 9-11, we've had the same less than 1% of the population fighting our nation's wars. We're breaking down because we're I only deployed twice. Some of my brothers you know, and sisters have deployed six, seven times. Well, your, your body starts to break down. But because there's no draft and because it's the same, you know, less than 1%, they're like, we're going to do everything we can to keep you in. Secretary of Defense Mattis comes along, passes this. I don't actually disagree with the policy because the world's changing. You know, he's saying, hey, we have to get ready for a potential near-peer war with Russia and China. So if we hit, get into World War III, everybody needs to go. We can't have like 5% of the population be wounded warriors on the active army. Good policy. But Defense Health Agency weaponized that in order to just be like, you know what? We're not going to give the guys a year anymore. Even with DOD's deploy get out policy, it still said you give them a year. But the bean counters, like in the Pentagon, started getting like pressure on DHA, get wounded warriors out so we can make Secretary of Defense Mattis happy mm. to get our numbers down. They didn't care how the sausage was made, how those numbers were gotten down. So you're just numbered me. So I realized, okay, in that moment, and it really was, it was kind of like an epiphany for me. Okay, if they're doing this to me as an army major, you know, I'm a field grade officer, middle, middle, kind of middle management. I'm a JAG attorney from a tier one law school. I have background in special operations community. I had been a general's aide for three different generals who are now at the, like the top echelons of the army JAG Corps in the Pentagon. They got promoted. If they're doing this to me. What are they doing to the 19 year old private? Well, he has no hope. And so they were supposed to get rid of me. Um, in I think 285 days, so about roughly nine months from that moment, she didn't disenroll me. And so I started fighting using like every, you know, appellate thing possible, including congressional requests for assistance. So I ended up staying in for 20 months. I doubled the time that they had to deal with me, but I still lost my battle. But that's why I started Arc of Justice, because I was like, I fought hard and I still didn't get a just outcome and a positive outcome. So I'm going to start a nonprofit and highlight this gap that I've just described. And so now I have represented since then 43 clients, all pro bono. We've won some cases. We've lost some cases. And then I'm also simultaneous to that. I'm starting. Uh, I've initiated something called the Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights legislation on the Hill because it's kind of the starfish theory. You know, I can throw you know a bunch of starfish back into the ocean one by one. But if I can get the Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights passed, and that will return authority over active duty wounded warriors from Defense Health Agency back to the military where it belongs, then I can get a tidal wave of justice to come in and sweep all the starfish back in. All right. Love it. That was long. Love it. No, that was, <laughs> that, was okay. that was that was great, and that was uh, in the last Congress, HR sixty four sixty six. Um, who was the lead on that? So Representative Brian Mass, Florida eighteen Republican, and then uh, Tulsa. Brian Mass is. Can we say hashtag 
badass? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we can? Okay, great. He, I've met Brian Mast, and he's an amazing, amazing individual. Has uh, his legs below right, the knee. Right, both legs blown Bo- off. Bo- yep. Both legs blown off, and and uh, he is a tremendous advocate. I, I guess I didn't realize he is the, the lead on this. That's yeah. great. Well, in small world, I helped Brian in his first campaign for Congress. No kidding. That's yeah. probably why he won. Well, I, thank I you. He was the reason. That yeah. He, yeah, he was amazing. So, amazing, yeah. um, no, great guy and a great friend of the of the foundation I'm involved in, Bouldercrest. That's awesome. Yeah. So the reason why he got involved, my actually first client for Arc of Justice, uh, she was his constituent, and so uh, he his office helped me. And you know, I've never actually met him. I mean, I know he's a wonderful guy. You know, and you guys know from your your time working in the Hill and politics, a lot of times it comes down to how good are the staffers. Right. Sure. Absolutely. It, it all comes down to how good the staffers <laughs> yeah. are. Really, the members really don't matter. I, I, I never said that. You guys did. But um, uh, the staffers there are unbelievable. Yeah. And so they that was almost three years ago now. Yeah, they're true believers. They are. And their staffers are still helping me. So they were critical in 6466, which we passed last year. Uh, and I forget what they call it officially on the Hill, but it's not, it, it doesn't actually fix the problem. It's just interrogatories with a reporting requirement, which was huge for us, even just to get that into the NDA 2021. Uh, but what, you know, a lot of people, and I'm new to the nonprofit world, so a lot of advisors, and I understand what they're saying to me, they're like, listen, you need to just like go raise money off of that for the next five years, you know, like that's amazing. Well, I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'm going to, of course, highlight our legislative victory as a small nonprofit. You know, what we've done is amazing. K Street firms sometimes can't get this done as quickly as we did. But for every minute that I delay in passing another piece of legislation to fix the problem, well, all these soldiers are falling through the gap. I can't live with myself if I just be like, hey, I got legislation packed. Look at us. So 6466 is a bridge to the Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights, and MAST is still spearheading it. Um Unfortunately, we lost the other co-sponsor for 6466 because Tulsi Gabbard retired. Uh, so she was amazing. Yeah, uh, you have a great story. Do, about do Tulsi. you want me to tell that yeah, story? Please do. Okay. So, you know, of course, like I'm getting all this Republican uh, support. And I know that the Democrats care about wounded warriors as well. And for whatever reason, I was just having trouble getting a co-sponsor on the Hask on the Democratic side. So went to Tulsi's office several times uh, in D.C., but of course she was running for president, so she was never there. Uh, so as being a person of faith that I am, I just you know prayed. I said, God, please just help me somehow to connect with Tulsi Gabbard. So a couple of months later, I'm on a plane from lobbying meetings on the Hill. It's, it's a midnight flight from D.C. Reagan into South Carolina. Uh, and so she is on the flight because she's going there for the South Carolina primary. And so I'm, I'm kind of freaking out, like, what do I do? How do I do this? How do I approach her? You know, she's got some security around her. So uh, so I used, it was great. I went to Sears School with the Green Berets, and they teach you, like, you know, some, like, shadow operations to stand out of line of sight. So I, like, hid behind a, a big concrete thing in the baggage claim. And sorry, security guys, I'm throwing them totally under the bus. But <laughs> so waited till they weren't looking, got in a blind spot, got right up to uh, Representative Gabbard. And to her credit, you know, she listened to me and she said, hey, she's like, I'll take as much time with you until we get our rental car. And so she gave me 10 minutes. She let me walk her all the way to pick up the rental car, you know, the actual rental car. And so the next night she was speaking two hours away in Charleston for the actual campaign. And so I just I told my wife, I'm like, listen, I just think I need to get in a three piece suit and go down there and like try and like make another connection. So 
she had promised everybody who comes, she'll shake their hand and talk to each person and take pictures with them. So I waited till everybody was done because I didn't want somebody behind me, you know, pressuring me. So I don't know, it was like four hours, you know, into this thing and went up to her. Uh, I believe it's her sister, V, who's actually like was her campaign manager. So I just said, hey, you know, I met her last night. They're like, oh, we remember you. I'm like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Am am yeah, ambushed, the <laughs> am ambushed the presidential candidate at midnight. Yep. Um, so I'm like, hey, listen, I, I know she hasn't read anything about what I'm doing. I'm not going to put her on the spot, but would she be willing to shoot a short video with me? If you guys aren't happy with it, you can just delete it off my phone. You can shoot the video. And so, you know, V went up and talked to Tulsi and they're just looking at me like, who is this guy? You know? She let me shoot the video. Yeah, but Tulsi's in the guard, right? I mean, she gets it. Tulsi totally gets it. So she, she's a she's, major she's in the, the guard. She's the only one. I mean, she's the only one within the field last year yeah. that got it. I agree. So she's an amazing human being. Yeah. I just still, she's still running for president. So like what other presidential candidate would let a guy who just accosted her, accosted just too strong of a word, <laughs> but you know, like intercepted her at midnight and then the next day, okay, yeah, I'll shoot a video. So I think she gets a lot of credit for just being a great human being. Um, so long story short, she then shoots the video. I use it to promote Arc of Justice and all this other stuff. And then she becomes the co-sponsor with Brian for 6466. And she's actually the one that got it added as an en banc amendment into NDAA 2021. Because, of course, the Democrats controlled the House. Sure. So as great as Brian and his staff are, without her, right. we never get 6466 passed. So I owe so much to, to Representative Gabbard. And, and like I said, she's an amazing human being. That's and a hopefully, great story. You know, future Senator Gabbard from the great state of Hawaii. Uh, I hope so. On, I mean, I think she should run for president again. I mean, it, she's she's pretty remarkable. There's no question about it. Well, I mean, she she hung in there until the very end, and 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 she got, I mean, she got blacklisted by, oh by the party itself for going after Kamala and going after Hillary Clinton, and uh, it was interesting to watch. And she stood her ground, and uh, it shows what a warrior that she is, and that that she has that sort of mentality, and for her to help you out along, and 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 to work with Brian Mast, who's a national hero um, is, is tremendous. And she even said in the video she shot with me that that he and her differ on a lot of issues, but they come together, you know, in an old school spirit of bipartisanship, which you guys have referred to in previous podcasts. You know, this is she carries the spirit of the Tip O'Neill Ronald Reagan days. Right. Yeah. You know, well, on so many of these veterans issues, especially on, on the wounded warrior uh, Bill of Rights. And then what I've worked on for the last several years, which is on, on um, getting the Veterans Administration to actually recognize that post-traumatic growth is not faulty science. Yeah. And uh, I was, we were able to get a, a similar bill attached on to uh, defense authorization uh, that, that directs the Veterans Administration to recognize um, programs that are, that, are, that are studying and or, or, or founded under post-traumatic growth. But th that has taken, you know, uh, bipartisan effort as well. Yeah. This idea that these issues are not partisan; these issues right. are not Republican Democrat. These issues are there are issues within the Veterans Administration, issues within, um, you know, this idea of protecting our, our veterans community that should not fall into either party. Right. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we all know it's it's highly partisan right now. It seems like the left and right can't come together on anything. But if there is anything, it should be these issues yeah. that they come together on. This is a no-brainer. So, Well, they all came together on fighting the war in Iraq. They all came together on fighting the war in Afghanistan. And now they need to come together on, on taking care of the veterans who are now coming home in droves. And you, and you touched on this in terms of um, in our previous discussions about how many veterans are now coming home after the, uh, you know, since 2018 who are homeless. Right. And so that's, so I'm glad that you, you brought up that point because that's what Arc of Justice is trying to do. We have our small niche where we are helping active duty clients. So, you know, there's, there's actually, somebody told me, and I don't know if this is true, but somebody told me there's 55,000 veterans related nonprofits in America. That seems like a high number, but it's also not surprising because so many people are passionate about veterans issues. So, so we don't service veterans. We're actually doing active duty clients in order to, I call it preventative medicine. We're trying to prevent the next generation of homeless veterans and alleviate the epidemic of 22 suicides per day. You know, because some of my clients, you know, they go through this stuff. And, you know, for us, you know, my wife and I, okay, I have a law degree, you know, I have all this support with great mentors. So we know we're not going to end up on the street. We just have too much of a strong support system. But some of these guys, you know, who, okay, they're going to get 30% disability from the VA and make whatever, $7,000 a year tax-free, and then that's it. And they're not healthy enough to work. Well, where do they end up? They do end up on the street or they have suicidal ideations. And so we are literally trying to, the veterans problem is bad enough as it is. We're trying to make sure it doesn't get even worse. So that's what we're doing, preventative medicine. Who who are your champions now? I mean, obviously, Brian Batolsi's gone. Yeah. Um, so uh, so we're st- we're actually still looking for you know somebody to fit the bill with Democrats. Anthony Brown, Maryland Four Democrat. Uh, what about Ruben Gallego? Here, have you gone to? I haven't. So if you guys have some contacts, I'll, I'll definitely get in there. Okay. The, yeah. This yeah. guy next to me. We're 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 looking for and Anthony Brown's office was great. You know, Tulsi took the lead on six four six six. I think they're going to step up for the Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights. My big problem right now is getting Democratic support in the Senate. Uh, I've reached out to Senator Gillibrand and Senator Duckworth's office, been in negotiations with both of them. They haven't really committed yet, so I'm hoping that they do. On the Republican side in the Senate, it's been uh, Rick Scott and then Tom Tillis have both been champions. And as you you guys know well, but I, so I'm not saying this for you, but for your audience, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. Before I started this, I was like, well, if I just get one congressman or one senator on board, I'm good. That's not how it works. No. <laughs> <laughs> so so, <I'm- laughs> so why wouldn't Senator... Kirsten Cinema, be the lead on this. I think she should. It would make Let's, perfect sense for her yeah. because she's 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 been great. On she's a hundred percent pro veteran, right? Yeah. She put puts stuff out there all the time about how wonderful she is to the veterans. Yep. Um, but Ruben is a great yeah because um, he's 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 a vet and served active uh, Marines, right? I believe so. Or Army. Uh. Know that. Well, that's going to be my um, first phone call after here. Um, so let me talk a little bit about just so your audience knows how the how the hill works, and maybe you've already covered this previously, or you will. Oh no, that, that, that's a whole nother. Like we like to say, that's a whole other podcast. And I'll, I'll make this short. So there's in in the Senate and in the House, there's these committees, and so you have to get to the Senate Armed Services Committee, people who sit on that. But then there's subcommittees, and so even if I get to a senator who sits on the SASC, 
but they're not on the personnel subcommittee, they may co-sponsor the bill. But then if I don't influence the people who you know are the, the ranking member and the chair of the subcommittee on personnel for the Senate Armed Services Committee, then it's hopeless. And then and I don't want to call them swamp creatures because there there's some good human beings there, but but then you have they're not political appointees. They're like lifetime bureaucrats who are called uh, professional staff members, PSMs. And they're kind of the subject matter experts for the committees. And they don't change, you know, with who gets elected to the White House and Senate, et cetera. And so then you also have to convince them. So even if you convince the member, if you don't convince the PSMs, they can torpedo it. Yep. So yep. it's 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 been and then this too, as great as like Brian Mass office has been, there's high turnover, especially on the House side. So I'll, I'll deal with like, you know, four or five different MLAs as the years, military legislative days as years go by. So people ask, well, why doesn't anything get done in Congress? And it's like, well, I just kind of gave it to you in a nutshell. You're right. That's exactly <laughs> right. I'll give you an example yeah. of, the, of the professional staff issue. Um, when Republicans took over the House in 1994, so I was working for John Shattuck. He got elected that year. Bob Livingston becomes the appropriations chairman in Louisiana. Um, you know, we're going to change the world. We're going to cut spending, you know, the whole Republican revolution. Well, what he does with the appropriation staff is he says, oh, all you Democrat staffers, you're now Republican staffers. Sixty percent of the Democrat staffers became Republican staffers. Oh, my gosh. Just because Republicans took over. Do you think that changed the way the appropriations process? Nope. I no mean, way. Didn't change at all no. because they were the expert matter. It did expert on the subject matter and they knew how to make this stuff happen the members don't it's just right. too much granularity absolutely so that's why the revolution never actually did anything major it's kind of depressing yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i mean back then too it was a different time you didn't have i mean the republicans were out of the majority for 40 years yeah right so i mean i mean i mean we literally had Nobody. There was no. There was no bench. There was. No. There was really. No. Now you have. It's. It's much different now. You actually have people who've served gone back and, and, and forth. Gone back and forth. But so it's still. I mean. I. But yeah, the staff still, makes everything walk, happen. I can still walk into the to the Longworth cafeteria, and see the same professional <laughs> staff guys that I used to see at lunch. Oh, they're years all, ago. Oh, they're all they're still, still there. there. They're still yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> the, the only thing that's changed in the Longworth cafeteria is that there's a Dunkin' Donuts there. <laughs> I mean, there's not a, there's a, there's a Dunkin' Donuts and it's gotten and, much but, nicer than it was when I was on the hill. Oh, they remodeled it. Big deal. But there's well, there's uh, a lot of more options. Yeah, there's more options. A lot but, more options. But the salad bar is How still there. How did we get to the Longworth cafeteria? <laughs> because, <laughs> that's my fault. My fault. Sorry. <laughs> Because if you actually want to see anybody, if you have to have a staff meeting, that's where they all I mean, take there's place. Tons Let's of go down to the cafeteria. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, still, <laughs> to this day. Which is Canon Carryout still there? Yeah. It is. Okay. It, it's still there. Well, and, and to your point on that, you know, a, a lot of people, and I, and I want to talk about the greatness of America here for one minute, because we really are. I mean, we don't have any money as Arca Justice. It's, it's basically me. I used to not say that at the beginning because I wanted them to think like, oh, we're this major nonprofit. No, it's just me. And this is why you can do anything in America, because this is pre-COVID. This is how I got traction on these bills is I would just go and sit in the senators and representatives offices and I would say, you know what? You're ignoring my phone calls and my emails. I know you guys are busy, but I'm not leaving here until somebody comes and talks to me about this. And and I'm not exaggerating. Occasionally, I would just sit there for three hours, you know, and, and they're like, okay, I guess this guy's not going away. Like, we have to send him someone. 
And that's actually how. Yeah, it's not like they can ask you to leave. No, as they can't. Decorated officer. Yeah, and and I was still on active duty at the time, and so I was in full, you know, in full uniform. And you know, they're like, "What are we gonna do with this guy?" And I'm like, "Well, just send somebody out. Anybody, just send somebody to talk to me that I can have a point of reference and a personal email and phone number." That is such a great story. As a former staffer, I can only imagine the the angst that you were causing behind the doors. It's like this guy won't leave. What do we do? You know? Yeah, that's fantastic. But it's 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 a testament to your resilience and your willingness to put yourself out there and you know talk about. But the not- front desk staffers also, I mean, we have to be honest, are like you know they're interns. Yeah, and yeah. they're 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 not gonna. You're there in uniform. They're they don't know what to do. They don't. They just have to. Clue. But the chief knows what's going on. Yeah, the chief knows like, what's going who's on. Who's this dude sitting in our lobby, man? You know, especially a house like we've talked about. It, the Great. Senate Senate offices, you've got some room. You know, you can sit down on the couch and not really be in the way. House offices, I mean, you got a guy sitting in the lobby for three hours. That's a that's a major roadblock because you've got people coming through and there's no place to sit. No. Well, that's impressive. But that that that's just a testament to your dedication and and. Well, the stakes are high, right? And I mean, this is a, this is a passion project for me. And I actually, you know, people are like, "Oh, what are you going to do with Arca Justice?" You know, once the Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights. And I'm like, "Well, it's counterintuitive, but I actually want to shut it down and go do something else." Sure. You know, I just want to complete the mission and go away. I'm not looking to, you know, do another nonprofit into perpetuity once the once the problem's fixed. Um, and I mean, you, you guys know the stakes are high. So sometimes I get a little bit overly passionate about this, especially if I'm hitting some roadblocks, you know, and I might send like off an Instagram email, you know, after like 10 ones with the carrot, I'll use the stick. And I'm like, listen, I'm not using this as a byline that creating the next generation of homeless veterans and contributing to suicides. This is happening and it's happening on your watch. So let's do something about it because it's not a complex problem. It's easy. Return authority from DHA, civilian bureaucrats, back to military commanders over wounded warriors. It was that way for 245 years. You don't need to create a new organization. You just need to dust off it's how it was in 2018. Un- undoing something. Undoing something. And Which, I'm like, there's no funding attached. The system already exists for decades. You just got to return it back. And I have a memo from uh, fall of last year. All the service secretaries wrote a letter to Secretary of Defense basically saying, they didn't quote me, but they're like, Defense Health Agency has totally failed, not only on what I'm talking about, but on managing like all the military medical treatment facilities and their $50 billion annual budget. So I was kind of like shooting for the moon and we got the stars, you know? So sure. now I have all the service secretaries behind me. So there's really no, there's no like friction points, you know, anymore. The Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights should go through. So I'm just kind of like, here we go, guys. It's simple. And it's a win-win for Absolutely. everyone, Democrat or Republican. So what, uh, I just I just pulled up all the different bills that Senator Cinema is sponsoring mm-hmm. in, in her capacity on Veterans Affairs, and this this fits right into the things that she's obviously passionate about, and we should call her out, and well, she should be the lead yeah. she should be the lead sponsor on this in the Senate. She should introduce this in the Senate. I would love for that to happen. That'd be what awesome. uh, tell people how they can help? Yeah, how they can reach you? Sure, um, and then. You know, obviously, they can. They definitely need to reach out to their members of Congress. Yep. To encourage them to. Yeah. So, so our website is arcofjusticeusa.org. So, a r c of justice usa.org, and uh, we're we're looking for basically three things. So, one, uh, we have a petition on there that they can sign saying we support the Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights. That's great. 
to what we just discussed here. We're looking to forge partnerships, reach out to senators, you know, in House. I mean, if, if people would start flooding, you know, their respective senators and congressmen, because even if they're not uh, sitting on the SASC or the HASC, we're looking for co-sponsors too. The more co-sponsors, the easier things go through. Um, and then, yeah, if, if they're financially able, then they can, they can donate as well. Cause we've partnered with, uh, uncommon giving with, I know you guys are familiar with. Sure. Um, so I'll, I'll give a plug, make Dave McMaster happy, you know, give a plug for uncommon giving. And, uh, they're a tremendous organization that has all of the safeguards in place and they vet these nonprofit organizations. So now, you know, your dollars are only going towards vetted organizations. So we're looking for those three things. So arc of Awesome. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for your service. We, Absolutely. I mean, as, as just regular civilians, we, 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 I get emotional about this, but it, what you're doing now is, is what we want for every serviceman and women coming back is that to find that purpose, to find that, that next calling. Right. And, and so that they can have productive, meaningful, lives outside of the service absolutely and, and what what you have found and what you're doing is 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 really a godsend so thank you yeah thanks for being here love what you're doing and uh i love that you have such great positivity yeah. and a sense of humor about it as well because <laughs> god knows you gotta have gotta have a sense of humor in this business so. you really do so let me just finish with this real short quote because it's not just about helping the wounded warriors now I love America, and there's a thread to what's happening which will affect our future future veterans. So George Washington said, the willingness with which our young people are likely to serve in any war, no matter how justified, shall be directly proportional to how they perceive veterans of early wars were treated and appreciated by our nation. And that's what I want to make sure is done, because it's not just about today, it's also about the tomorrow, and we want to see the flame of liberty kept burning bright in America for generations, hopefully. So thank you guys. Well thank said. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you as well. Yeah.